What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Fans, how you doing? It's your boy and exhausted uh, John of the Macri with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, with me, of course, my co-host um, coming at you one day early because you know we're if nothing else, we're flexible. Um, the man who I'm going to rely on to carry me through this show, uh, Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, uh, are you are you up to the challenge? I guess first of all. Yeah, you know, John, I had a really great pastrami on rye today, and I've got a delicious from where beer in front of me from Pastrami Queen. Oh, great, fantastic! Yeah, yeah, it was fantastic. So I hadn't had one in a really long time, and it just hit right. So uh, and the beer is great too. So we can do this. I'm I'm at a good stage right now. So it's funny you bring up beer. Um, I may have mentioned on a recent podcast my wife uh, for. Uh, Father's Day was kind enough to sign me up for a beer of the month club. Did, have I mentioned this to you? Yes, you have. Okay. So um, that delivery came, I believe, a week ago today. Um, I finished and it's it's only it's only a 12. It's 12 beers. So there's three different or there's four different types of, of beer and there's three of each. So, you know, it's 12 beer. I mean, how, in an average week, how long does it take you to ro- go through 12 beers? Don't lie. It's a loaded question because I don't just drink beer. So in an average week, beer wise, I'd say I drank nothing but two to three. beer. Oh, OK. So it, wait, two to three weeks to go through 12 beers. Uh, I drink two to three beers a week. A week. Oh, OK, OK. So it's going to take you like wine, a month. There's cocktails. And OK. Stuff. All right. So I, I'm a beer guy, um, but I don't usually go through 12 beers in a week. This week was particularly tough. Um God, I feel like I, I feel like another thing I've said on this pod before is I've I've used the my wife is is under the weather a few times, haven't I? Um, yeah. ah, fuck it, my family and friends loathe me. Nobody listens to the show, so my wife is pregnant, um, and she's basically having morning sickness all day, and it fucking sucks. Um, and I'm left to care for, um, my daughter all day long, which. Starts happy hour kind of early for me. It's like the second she goes to bed, it's like, all right, I got to load up. And just because I'm at like my wit's end, Um, which I is that does that sound like a a terrible parent to you, Jeremy? Someone doesn't have kids like imagine being alone with a soon to be four year old, basically just on your watch from she gets up at like six in the morning and she goes to bed at six at night Would, Would that. Would that drive you to have a couple beers after a 12-hour day? Let me put it this way. My mom had foot surgery not too long ago, and I've been looking after her with my dad. And this is a fully functioning, except for the fact she can't walk, human being. And I can't wait to drink at the end of my work day because on top of it – so I can only imagine what it's like to have a four-year-old. I mean they're they're incomparable, and and that situation already sucks. So no, you – you go. You do what you need to do, John. Yes. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that um, vote of confidence for me not being a terrible human being. Um, anyway, so the, the, all this is to say that I have ran out of my stock of beer, and the only alcohol that I have left in the house for this podcast is um, I have a very little bit of whiskey left that would not have been enough to get me through this pod. Some, or excuse me, bourbon. Um, some god awful scotch that I am hoping to avoid altogether and wait until I could get a food delivery on Monday um, and and get some, get a new six pack of beer um, and some mead. Do you know what mead is Jeremy? Oh yeah. I love mead. Do you really? I do. It's really good. Okay. So, I mean, obviously there are other people who think that mead is good too, because they produce it in mass quantities. 
Um, one of these people apparently brought a bottle of mead to um, my mother's husband's house some time ago. I believe it was a couple of years. He, do, he does not like mead. So when we were doing a, a socially distant visit last weekend, he's like, hey, I have some mead. I'm not going to drink this. Do you want it? And me seeing a, a bottle of alcohol that was being offered to me for free was like, I love mead. Mead is the greatest thing in the world. Please give, do the same thing. give me your mead. I said this without knowing anything about what mead was or what it tasted like. Well, let me tell you, Jeremy, you have shit taste because this tastes like piss. And I am sitting here with a glass of mead next to me. It looks like piss. It tastes like piss. And my guess is it has the consistency of piss. Now, Wait, how can you say you guess it has the consistency of piss, but then it tastes like piss? That would imply that you have tasted piss before. You've never, now you've never saying, accidentally tasted like a drip of pee in your life? No comment? No, like, so, you know. No, I have not. I have something not shoots up. There's a ricochet. No? Not my own piss, no. Well, it doesn't have to be yours. Hey, listen. That's we're, true. That's we're, true. We're, we're getting off track here. The point is, um, I'm not enjoying the mead, and I hope this does not get back to my mother's husband, who I adore, because um, I don't want him to think that I'm not enjoying the mead, although it is serving a utilitarian purpose right now. So um, that can be good. It's it just you have to find the right kind. I like the different flavors and everything, but, you know, it's to each their own. I mean, this bottle didn't even have any words on it. It was just a picture, um, which is, makes sense because, like, I wouldn't want this to get back to me if I produce this shit either. But just really quickly, uh, I mean, I knew, but congratulations. Oh, thank you. Um but I have I, now that we're on air and addressing it, I'd like to raise a proposition. Oh Jesus! Yeah, as the self-anointed godfather of your children, <laughs> I would like to propose that if the Knicks wind up with the number one draft pick, I get to name your child. Um, I feel like if I gave you permission to do that without speaking it over with my wife, it would go over poorly. Can I tell you the names that I would at least advise? Sure. Before, well, well, we okay. still have five I, listeners left. C- continue. Great. I put a lot of thought into this oh, because I'm I knew sh- that sure you have. This, this moment would come. Uh-huh. So I feel like if you have a girl, uh-huh. it would be Barniani Brockhard <laughs> Macri. <laughs> I thought it was going to be a serious name. Yes. And if it's a boy. And if you have a boy, I've really been trying to figure out what the best thing would be. And the only one that feels right is Dookie McSkittles Macri. Dookie? Dookie McSkittles Macri. I think it has a good rhythm to it. I mean, that's a great name. Um, I don't know if it would be. I don't know if it has. Talk it over with your wife. Yeah, I will. will, It'll be it'll be a family discussion. Um. Okay, so I just uh, sorry. I just for the listeners at home, I just needed to to set the uh, set the mood, so to speak. So if it feels like I'm at my wit's end as you're listening to me, um, that's because I am. Um, okay, which brings us to uh, life in Nick's land. It was a it was a busy week. Uh, we officially heard from Tom Thibodeau, um, which we're going to get to Tom in a bit. Um, I guess we have two two matters which are. Somewhat connected and and um, of a more recent nature. Um, <laughs> so I was I was thinking about this watching the Dallas game last night, Dallas Houston, uh, and watching the former Knicks trio of KP, Tim Hardaway Jr., and Trey Burke, uh, you know, light up the Mavs through three quarters because um, they certainly got shut down in the fourth, which was enjoyable. I've been doing this Knicks Will Smith face uh, bracket. Watching those guys last night, it brought up four different things from or four different entries in the 32 team bracket. It brought up obviously the KP trade. It brought up the Tim Hardaway Jr. offer sheet. It brought up June 30th, uh, 2018. And it even brought up in my mind, the Joakim Noah contract, because don't forget, we needed to make that trade in part because that $6 million matzo ball was sitting on the salary cap. So it's like, there was so much bad and just ugly juju together and watching that game. And as I was watching it, all I could think of was like, someone should, did you ever see a clockwork orange? Yes. Okay. Someone should put uh, Steve Mills and Scott Perry in those chairs <laughs> with the things that keep their eye open and put that fucking game on loop for, I don't know. What do you think is a fair and equitable amount? 12 hours? Eternity? <laughs> 
think 12 hours is probably 12 good. hours is probably good. What, do, do you have any thoughts on the game or any of that stuff? It was just a really entertaining game. It was a great game. You know, it was a great game. It was very awful to watch if you like defense, but it was a sort of thing where I really didn't like, yes, it obviously crosses my mind that Porzingis was a Nick and Burke was a Nick as well and Hardaway and, of course, they were going off for the first three quarters. And then shout out to Stefan Bondi, who uh, at inadvertently or maybe purposefully tweeted out about how well they were doing through three quarters. Classic Knicks fan. He, he laid the, just, the jinx. <laughs> yeah, just jinxed him. So that was great. I was really happy about that. Um, you know, it's just with with Porzingis as well. It's just there's this universe where the Knicks don't trade him. And I'm very curious as to what that looks like, because what are you really getting in return for that player? And, you know, we'll never know, but you don't necessarily have to match contracts. The whole point is it's, I look at it as like, it's in the past. We just have to evaluate where we're at right now. Certainly hope for the best. It's sure. It's, is it hard to watch a prolific player um, doing well in a bubble where the Knicks aren't participating? Of course, but it's still the sort of thing where, and I think not to nitpick one play, but the Covington lack of a box out, I think is very indicative of what, Porzingis is in a lot of ways, which is, yeah, these mid-range bank shots are great, but if you're not able to do some of the, you know, the rebounding, the nitty-gritty stuff of boxing out, being more physical, then it's going to hurt you. It's really going to hurt you in the long run. And so, again, he's a great player, and I, I, I'm i curious to see how his career unfolds. I, I do really hope for his health and his success, but it's the sort of thing where it's just very fascinating to see Everything that's going on around him, because that team lost a lot of strength. They got really tired, which is funny because Porzingis talked about how tired he was a couple of Januarys ago. So, you know, it's yeah. Long story short, it sucks, but I've I've kind of moved on by this point. Um, I envy you. Um, and it's it's weird. It's like people talk about the pain of like different Knicks memories and like watching certain players and watching him do well with the Mavericks for reasons that I, I can't, I don't, I don't know why I think it's the most, it's the most like it just, it gets at my core. Uh, it, it just eats at me. So I, that's why I just wanted to mention it. It also has to do with something that happened this morning, which was a little, um, article that Mark Berman dropped about, um, Scott Perry, Having a, a disagreement, um, I guess last season with Craig Robinson, the former Knicks head of player development, now moved on to be the head of uh, the what is it, the NCAA Coaches Association? I guess was that, is that it? Um, I'm not sure. It's he, whatever. He's he, he left. That's he, all. I he's really he's no longer with us. But he left. Um, yeah. Uh, he's so the the article basically intimated that they had a dispute about whether or not to. Send um, Knicks players down to the G League last season. And uh, it, it made out that Craig Robinson was in favor of this to get them more playing time while they weren't getting time up here. And that uh, Scott Perry, uh, partially because of the impression that this would give, um, was not in favor of it. Um, and I don't know, something about that just kind of like set me off it, between last night and, and seeing that. I was just like, you know what, man? And, and I, for a, a little while, I kind of got back on my. Really, we get, we're, we're this is the guy we're keeping around. Um, and before I get your impression, I wanted I want to toss something else out at you because, in fairness, and I listen, I I think I'm pretty good at admitting if I'm wrong or if I don't have the full story. Well, somebody got in touch with me after that. Um, I guess I have to call them a source, a league source, um, and shed a little bit more light on what player development was like last year uh, under, or I guess pretty the last two years um, under Craig Robinson with the Knicks. And this is a person who would know um, it's not a Knicks source, but it is someone that I, I trust. And I, I'm, I feel very reliably conveying this um, that it wasn't pretty. And um, he was maybe, I don't want to say in over his head, but those are kind of the impression I got. Um, you know, and this creates like it's the typical Knicks conundrum. Like it's a it's finger pointing. It's like who fucked up? Whose fault is it? 
ultimately, I still stand by my criticism of Scott Perry in that it's his show. It's he's the GM. When you're the general manager, it's like you're the guy. Um, whatever happens with the team, basketball wise, it happens under you. But at the same time, I was thinking about it and it's like, all right, well, if you hire someone to do a job. And it's Craig's job, Craig Robinson's job to do it. And under under his purview, and this is the other thing that I was informed of, is it's like he it was on him to hire the player development staff, whether they be, you know, find some player development coaches or um, to put some more player development people elsewhere in the organization. Um, travel with the team and make sure player development stuff was happening on the road like those things weren't happening. So, you know, I just want to put that out there. Um was I a little too harsh with, with Scott? Probably. Um, but I, it's, I hope this is a, this is not a problem that we have going forward. And, and that'll be a precursor to our Tibbs discussion, but just, I want to get your impression of any of that. And, uh, if there's anything unclear, feel free to ask because maybe I left something out. No, I think it's definitely fair. You know, with the NBA, it's probably of the four major sports leagues, it's the second best in terms of development, maybe third if hockey still does something good. But it's realistically, if you look at baseball and hockey, there have been eight players in baseball, for example, since 1980 who have been drafted and gone straight to the majors. Okay. Whereas in basketball, you're drafted, you are highly likely to start playing and moving down into the G League is a very different situation than getting option to AAA. Yeah. And so I think the you could look at it this way, though. You could say, well, yes, there is a confidence thing, right? Why is it that with these players, they're drafted highly? It looks pretty bad if you're sending them to the G League. But to that, I would, I would counter by saying, well, then shouldn't you consider having players who are humble enough to say, I need to work on something, let me do it somewhere else? But the reality is that it's just not going to be that way. It's going to be you're, you're thrust into the limelight right away. And operating in the G League, I don't see that as the biggest problem. I don't see not doing that as the biggest problem. I see the fact that the Knicks surrounded so many of their young players with veterans who needed the ball and were uncertain about their roles or were given bigger roles than they should have had in the first place, that that's what really was problematic. Because if you take that away and you have your players playing, it's a very different story. But, you know, I mean, who's to say that someone like Dennis Smith Jr. needs time in the G League? And maybe it's the sort of thing where that's not where his head is at. Maybe it's just, you know, because he dealt with a lot last year, right? And I know that you've also talked about uh, a bit his drive, and I'm not talking about him as a slasher, but just his <laughs> motivations and, yeah. and how he carries himself. And it's the sort of thing where you could say, okay, well, he's very, I don't know if temperamental is the right word, but the understanding that maybe he felt like he earned something without <laughs> physically earning it. He's, he a, mil he's a millennial. It. No offense to you, but a none sort of taken. Um, <laughs> but yes, I, I get where you're coming from. And so with him, it's like, okay, well maybe yes, you could shuttle him down to the G league. Maybe there's something he's going to work on. Maybe he can get some playing time, but maybe that wasn't the problem. Maybe. Yes. I mean, obviously we know about what, um, what happened to his shot and that's, Frustrating. Maybe the G League can help as opposed to playing in, in games. But I don't know. Everything that we've heard with Tibbs, it gives me the stronger impression that the Knicks are more focused maybe on the G League for the supporting players That's... and for developing your like Toronto Raptors core. Uh, not so much Siakam per se, but like you're, you're more um, – I go back to the word ancillary. Your ancillary pieces that can kind of uh, – you can just plug in these guys no matter what. Now, I think that's perfect, but – it's not – the G League isn't a place where you should be sending your lottery picks, at least while they're on the rookie contracts, unless you have a Justice um, – uh, not Justice uh, – Josh Jackson oh. situation. No, and, and that, but so that's a second-team guy. That's a second-team guy, yeah. which I think falls into a – no, listen. Dennis Smith Jr. is a second-team guy. I don't think that he ever fell quite as far as Josh Jackson – Although, if you watched him play last year, maybe you'd think otherwise. But no, that's that's fair. That's fair. Uh, and, and now you're kind of and, talking and, about and Knox. Yeah, and in fairness to Dennis Smith Jr., right? and I know you're not saying otherwise, but if you look at someone like Josh Jackson and the personal issues that he has, especially where, I mean, his daughter at four months old yeah. consumed marijuana, like that is, that's the type of person where it's not just about playing. It's about just an actual person, how they're thinking. And, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. just dealt with a lot of crap, unfortunately, that didn't seem to be his fault. Um, again, he should be responsible for a lot of it, but that, I just wanted to point out the difference for the listeners at home where 
there's a lot more to it than just on the court. And I think that is a huge reason why we saw Josh Jackson play on his second team in the G League versus Dennis Jr. I I I, th- I want to also add in. I, I think the Knicks, as an organization, um, you know, and, and look, they're they're not they're not that unique in this feeling, which is that more more growth is going to happen if the player, especially if it's a lottery pick ish type guy. Um, more growth is going to happen if they are in and around and practicing with and getting the coaching from um, the big league team, um, whatever the NBA team, whatever you want to terminology you want to use, than they would in the G League. Like last year, I think there were a lot of times that it just kind of looked like. The, I guess here's what I was going to say. The one exception to that I was I was going to say is if a player just looks like they're lost and like has lost all confidence, which is. Dennis Smith Jr. for sure at times last year. And yeah, a couple times Kevin Knox. Um, but then that gets us back to not to go backwards again, but like with with Craig Robinson, I think that's where you have to make sure that if you're in a situation like that and you have a player that's looking lost and is looking like he, he lost his confidence, like you have to have an answer for that. And whether it's a dedicated coach or like someone to just like I, again, I'm not a player development person. I don't know, but like there are teams that do this well, and the Knicks were not one of them. And I think they would even admit um, that players did not get better under their watch over the last couple of years. Um, you know, aside from some slight improvements made by Frank and Mitch, um, and yes, even Knox. And then the other last tidbit of uh, of info for this episode, I was told by someone uh, again who has a decent amount of intel with what's going on is that they are looking to get a fairly large um, player development, like contingent of people. Um, It's going to be more, I think quantity rather than I I shouldn't say quantity rather than quality. It's going to be quantity. Like there's going to, I think they're going to make it one of the, a bigger staff. Whereas under Fisdale is one of the smaller staffs. Um, I, as of now, I don't know whether they're going to hire someone explicitly to to replace Craig Robinson, but they're definitely going to bring in people and kind of revamp that thing. So transitioning to Tibbs, I guess for all the people who were like, you idiots, how could you not hire Kenny Atkinson? Do you think knowing this, right, knowing that they're going to bring and really going to revamp this department, um, should that be enough to you know, quash people's fears a little bit? Yeah, I mean, look, it takes a village to raise a child. And the Knicks have several children, so they're going to need several villages here. <laughs> I love these. Sort of, Your analogies are just absolutely the best. Sorry, I had to say that. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, you know, again, it's it was never going to be specifically on Tibbs to develop these players. He's the head coach, so there's a lot that goes on here. He's got to keep his eyes open for 15 different players. He can't work exclu- exclusively with all of them, um, at least not to the length of time that they might need. So surrounding them so – again, because this is just money, right? There's no salary cap. So the fact that Dolan is willing to spend on quantity also gives a good sign that of all the owners out there who might be feeling a bit of a cash squeeze, Dolan's not going to be one of them because look how prolific he is in terms of his hiring. And I think that's great. But, you know, it's just that, again, if you – quantity is great and if you can – again, it comes down to quality as you're saying. But if you have more eyes, then there's more catch. And I think that's fantastic. And, you know, I mean we talked about how – well, we didn't talk about this. But it, one thing that was a buzz is the fact that Kenny Payne of Kentucky yeah. is being under consideration. And I'll be honest. The outcry from fans when they saw – I know. Carl Anthony Towns' name attached to Kenny Payne drove me up a wall. Because here's the thing. It came back to, oh my God, it's the same old Knicks. They just they're going after a player who is not gonna be obtainable. He's not a free agent for a while. He just got D'Angelo Russell. They're just going after stars. And so that I say, look, if if it's someone who can help develop, like Mitchell Robinson, because let's face it, Kentucky's produced some pretty goddamn good big men in the last 10 years. Yeah. If you can have 
a coach who is that good at helping these players come along. And if he's well-connected enough, because as we know, connections are everything, then how does that hurt you? How is that going against the process? If anything, it's getting exactly what you wanted, a talented coach in the door. And then from there, you basically just have that added benefit of recruiting, which everyone knows is important. So when people were going, when they were apoplectic about this, I just didn't get it. It felt like overreacting for the sake of overreacting. Um, yeah, and and look, there's a subset of Nick fans, and I'm listen. It it bugs me sometimes. Um, who are gonna get annoyed every time they see one of those names? Um, and I get it, but to ignore what a guy like Kenny Payne or like anybody who's earned their their right to be considered a a, a contributor at this level. Um, in helping guys get better, you know, it's, it's silly. Um, we, we said we wanted to bring up, uh, John Kaczynski, who, uh, has been making the rounds. He was on my other podcast, the hoops by, and, uh, he also spoke with, um, John Schmielk recently. So he covered Tibbs in Minnesota. Um, you know, I, I, the, the biggest thing that I, that I took from what he was saying, well, one, on the development end, I think, in his opinion, guys like they didn't necessarily get better in Minnesota. Like the young players, specifically Wiggins, um, did not really. Uh, Towns did a little bit, although he attributes that more to himself as opposed to anything Tibbs did. Um, but he also kind of dispelled the the crazy practice uh, hours and days notion. Um, before I get your thoughts on on John's stuff, though, I wanted to bring up one other thing that I thought was interesting. Um, I, oh God, I'm going to screw up his name. I think it's John, uh, not, I was going to say John Goodman, um, writer for The Athletic who covered the Bulls when Tibbs coached there. I'll look it up right now, actually. Um, mentioned that, like, players who had an issue with Tibbs while they played for him in Chicago, one by one, have all turned around in the years since and been like, that's a dude that you should want to play for. And like, he like got me as a, he got me better as a basketball player. So I, I just think the more information that we're uncovering about Thibodeau, it's not all good. It's not all positive, but it's more leading me personally to be hopeful about what he's going to be bringing into the next next year. Yeah. There's a level of respect and it's not to say that Kenny Atkinson didn't have that level, but from what we're seeing and in, in terms of the articles that you just mentioned and what we're hearing, it strikes me that Thibodeau is maybe more of – I don't want to say a personal coach because that's really not what he is. But he's a taskmaster who is going to get your players as prepared as possible and he's going to set a tone and there's going to be this drive and determination. And he's going to have players who are going to want to be pushed to the limit and maybe you know give 110 percent this time. It's just, you know, and just to kind of touch upon with development, it's fascinating to me how actions speak louder than words. And we haven't seen any action from this front office and this new tandem of Rose and um, Thibodeau. But it's the sort of thing where it feels like because of this news about them going to hire players, there's going to be a direct action from it versus Fizdil just saying to someone like Moutier, we're going to get you right and then having – one of the smallest (laughs) development teams in the NBA. And what's so fascinating as well is how Leon Rose, I don't know how much I buy this, probably not that much, but Leon Rose said, there's no timeline here. Yeah. And again, I think there's a timeline that's absolutely in mind, but it's flexible enough where they're not all in like what you just saw last summer with Steve Mills and Scott Perry going after Kevin Durant and trying to lure another star. There's, there is that flexibility. There are the pieces in place uh, just it's just growing from there and seeing how you can get star talent into your building and maybe it's this draft maybe it's the next one who knows but it, it, there's there seems to be an approach that truly is focused on getting things right from the get go and so that you from the you know from the smallest details to the largest things you have everything where you run like a well-oiled machine and that sounds great to me so hopefully they continue to employ that Um, the author's name before I forget is John Greenberg and, uh, funny you, you, you bring up Moutier. Like, I think the thing that like Craig Robinson and Fisdale had in common is like, they thought that 
having this like personal touch. Like basically they thought that being the, the, the coach that it seems like Carl Anthony Towns and like Andrew Wiggins and them like wanted in Minnesota, the guy who, you know, to borrow a John Krasinski phrase is like, um, going to put your arm around you at the end of a long day and be like, Hey, it's okay. You know, it'd be fine. Um, that's what they were. And I think that they thought that like getting to know players, getting players to feel a level of, I, I don't even know what the word is, something good, positive, um, about like the organization or like the relationship with the staff. I think they thought that that was going to be enough. Whereas, Tibbs's uh, phrase that he lives and dies by, which was quoted in the, the John Greenberg article in which he actually uh, said to uh, Steve Serby, who wrote an article for the Post today, is the magic is in the work. That's apparently his phrase. And I feel like not to say that like they weren't practicing and stuff, but I feel like what was happening here the last two years was lacking in the work. And it was basically like, yeah, we'll poo poo this idea of development and this and that for a year. But when we get KD and Kyrie, everything's going to be fine. And then KD and Kyrie didn't come. And then it was like, oh, shit. Um, what are we doing now? Uh, and <laughs> no, but is that that's not I don't think that's far off. No, I'm uh, laughing because it's true. Yeah, it, it's 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 uh, but true. And again, not to absolve anybody of blame because one more time and I've been critical of him in the past and I will continue to be critical of him until he proves to me that, you know, he's <laughs> he's worth being a general manager. But. Like, I, I think some of this falls on Perry. I don't think all of this falls on Perry, and it probably falls elsewhere more than I've been willing to admit. But he, Perry just, he strikes me as someone who is, maybe for lack of a better term, neutered. And I think that kind of came you across- You mean now, in this, in this front office? Yes. And okay. I think a lot of that came across, especially in the press conference. Because yeah, one what, of the what, things- What were your takeaways always, from the- Other than that, I, I'm curious what your takeaways were from it. You know, I mean, it's hard to- They're all kind of just forced positivity that teams try to do. Like, there's really no incorrect thing that can be said at a press conference. I mean, yeah, you could say uh, Fizdale saying we're going to get you right is not great, but it's diplomatically speaking, that's totally fine. It just press conferences are really a way for teams to kind of- spark energy and show that everything's in the right direction. And maybe it's not, maybe it is, but it's just, it's all for a good PR. Um, but in terms of Perry, I feel like the, one of the things that we always kind of gravitate towards is, well, Perry is not necessarily great, but the one thing he's really good at is he's a people person. He knows people. He's very well connected. And he was talking about how really he didn't know Tibbs at all. And again, I mean, like, what does that mean? Well, maybe it's just that it's a big league. They didn't happen to run into each other. They're just, you know, maybe they knew, so, they probably knew someone who, they one mutual friend or multiple mutual friends. The point being, to me, it just felt like this was a hire that was very clearly geared towards uh, Leon Rose and World Wide West. And they didn't really take Perry's thought process into consideration because he probably would have picked someone else if it were up to him. I, I, I have... No doubt in my mind that if Tibbs is still in the market and Scott Perry is in charge and Leon Rose is not there, there's no way the Knicks are going towards that's someone a, like that. That's an interesting Perry. question. Yeah. And I, so I, then you're, you're like, okay, well, who are you going after? And I could absolutely see Perry saying, you know what? I think that Udoka would be a fantastic candidate. Or Jamal Mosley. Uh, maybe Kenny Atkinson even. But it's the sort of thing where it's just – because they didn't have that relationship, and yet Leon Rose and so many others did have with Tibbs, I don't know. It just something about it made me feel like he's very much still in name only, and he's working on the draft. And maybe he continues to do solid work, but perhaps he just kind of fades into the background. Um, yeah, or or you know, he's just he is an equal voice among four or five equal voices, you know. Yeah, um, that too. Which I'd be comfortable with. Which. Um, Great podcasting here. Um, it, it leads us into uh, your two articles for the week, which I, I, I wanted to touch on because um, I thought they were both very good and also touched on some points which are, I think, really prescient And when we're talking about Tibbs and, and moving forward. What are we looking for? What are we worried about? Um, the first is you wrote about how so many of his 
the things that may have led to his downfall in, in Minnesota um, really didn't have much to do with his coaching and instead having to had to do with his decision making as a, a front office person. So, you know, <laughs> the notion that this is not like this isn't going to be a year in which Tom Thibodeau is making personnel decisions or Scott Perry and Steve Mills are going to be making personnel decisions. It's going to be a year where all of these different voices seem to be like they're going to be in the room. Um, and that's going to be really encouraging to me. What What do you think you're after you wrote that? What do you think is was the biggest personal takeaway for you from taking a look at like his time in Minnesota? Probably that, you know, as a coach, there were things he did not do well. I mean, you could probably say that about any coach who was let go. But for sure. For Tibbs, you know, there were there were issues. And I think that remodeling in a lot of ways, the bull staff was problematic for him and that things did change. And there is a level of adaptability. And he didn't really do that. But I think the biggest thing for me was because he had to focus on the um, transactional, the personnel side, as opposed to just the matchups and focusing on the, the day-to-day attributes, he then was overwhelmed. Uh, and look, I mean, I think we've all been in a position where we've been overwhelmed and we've had too much to do and maybe we haven't done everything to perfection. And if we just had one thing to focus on, we would do it really, really well. Yeah. And then we suddenly you have another thing in the mix and your attention just has to gravitate towards other things. And I really look at it as that situation where, again, he screwed up their salary cap to such a degree that the moves he wanted to make – really weren't there afterwards and <laughs> you laid he, out I mean, like, hold on you laid out i want to find it in the article because you laid out like how much money went to god what was it gibson teague and and jeng oh that's right and it was like yeah. half their salary cap right just about and then before jimmy butler's even able to hit free agency yeah you've got wiggins eligible eligible for a max contract and of course if offered, he's going to sign it because who would really turn down a max contract? And then the other thing is you've got Carl Anthony Towns, who was deserving of one anyway. I mean, we could question whether or not he's a winning player, but he still had to be signed. And so if you're Jimmy Butler, it's like, all right, well, damn, my entire future here is dictated by the level of talent between these two players who I feel are lazy. And that's just really hard to do. It's hard to compete. When when your core is already established around you and it's not a good core. And one other thing on that that I think is really important and very interesting. um, You talk about all the money that went out and how, you know, Jimmy Butler was kind of the last man left standing. I don't know if you caught if you uh, listened to the low post episode with Rachel Nichols and Howard Beck this week, who I I know a lot of Nick fans don't like to hear those names, but um they Rachel Nichols like and I'm not this I don't think this is like new reporting but don't forget she was the one who had the sit down interview with Jimmy Butler I think it was the night of that crazy practice where he like called everybody out and and went apeshit uh, with the third team guys but she aside from saying that Tibbs is a great coach she's like the problem there was that Jimmy Butler just wanted to get paid and when he saw all this money going out to these other people and and like to Wiggins was one of those people that's, I think, what really rubbed him the wrong way as much as, if not more than the issues he had with, um, you know, Towns and Wiggins on the court and or, uh, you know, whatever you want to say, their approach to the game. So but again, that all goes back to the point of your piece, which is that that there's a reason that coaches don't have like personnel Decision-making power, and that makes sense, right? Because when Tim, what is Tim's going to look like Jimmy Butler at? He's going to look at him like, oh, this is a guy who's always going to bring his lunch pail no matter what. He's not going to worry about that stuff. Well, guess what? At some point, your multi-million dollar athlete is going to be, yes, I am going to worry about this shit. And I think Tim's never fully recognized that fact. Um, he also, yeah, and, yeah. Anyway. And the fact that he did want to get paid, I mean, he was going to get a max contract offer no matter what. But I think the other really important thing with Butler, and I didn't get to put this into the article because it just it was a bit uh, superfluous but you've read tanking to the top and weitzman talks about jimmy butler's upbringing yep and so if you're jimmy butler you're probably thinking like damn you know i was drafted at the end of the first round i worked my ass off to be where i am at today i am a i'm a superstar i'm an all-star player i was treated here for a reason and you just gave away 
max contracts to two guys who I feel like don't put in any work and are just relying on their talent and their talent alone. And now you want me to get paid, but how are we supposed to win when two thirds of us don't really care about what's going on right now? <laughs> and it makes sense. If, if you're in a, in a group project or you're doing something with a team and you realize that it's all falling on you, you're not going to feel any joy behind that because it doesn't feel equivalent. It just feels like you're in charge of everything and, and you're going to get the blame. And if you succeed, then everyone succeeds, but you know that you did the work. So it makes total sense why he didn't want out. And I think that Tibbs was too blind to see that because he was so overwhelmed with what was going on and because of the fact that he's not a locker room guy per se. And we talked about this last week where I said, you know, Woodson, ah, it's like, okay, it's just nostalgia. I get it. Like, it doesn't really matter to me. But the more I read and the more I listen about how Tibbs is not this buddy-buddy guy, we knew he wasn't to begin with, but just the degree of how not close he is with the players, it then got me thinking, okay, well, if this is the case and you want someone who just focuses on the work, then you have to have someone, especially someone like Woodson, who – has done a fine job with the Clippers from a defensive strategy or standpoint, it's like, okay, well, yeah, maybe you could use that guy from just an interaction standpoint. Tibbs doesn't need to be everything. He doesn't need to be. uh, He's not going to be. He He, he refuses to be. (laughs) Right, exactly. He just needs to encompass uh, encompass enough of the roles where you feel like he's got a, he's in charge and he's kind of touching everything, right? Yeah. It's like a CEO. You wouldn't expect a CEO to fill the role of a COO or CFO, but the CEO, the CEO has to have enough knowledge of what's going on where they kind of touch everything to the point that they're not in the nitty gritty in the weeds, but they're kind of flying 10,000 feet above it all. And they're still in charge. They're still the ones getting the blame. If the team succeeds, it's probably the team and not the CEO. And that's fine. But that's kind of where I view Tibbs at as essentially a CEO, but then you've got you know, like your Leon Rose and the rest of the front office is more of a um, a board of directors, if you will. Yeah, and and just the last thing I want to say on this and is you, I, it, it triggered in my mind when you use the term CEO, which brings to mind like corporate infighting in my mind, which brings to mind the Knicks because I really do believe so many of the Knicks' problems over the years have been caused by, um, you know, poor decision making. Because guys are like partially covering their own ass and they want to do the safe thing or the thing that looks good, even if it's not the best decision. Um, And, you know, guys like angling for other guys' jobs and like there's just not a lot of trust within the organization. People are not really working as a cohesive unit, even, you know, again, not to go back one more time, but who, who brought in Craig Robinson, right? It was Steve Mills. Okay, it was their buddies from Princeton. So you had Mills bringing in Robinson and then there's Scott Perry over here. Like we were always told that like they, he was working in lockstep lockstep with Mills. But I I think the way that Rose, Leon Rose has assembled this thing. I just, uh, this is probably me being naive, but I, I just, I think it's going to work better. I think he, as a guy who, (laughs) has specialized in relationships, right? There's that word again for his entire career. I think he knows how to put together a team of people who is not going to try to sabotage each other. Um, and that includes Tom, yeah. that includes Tom Thibodeau and Mike Woodson. I, does Mike Woodson strike you as a guy who's going to be trying to be angling for the head coach's job? I personally, yeah. I don't think so. No. And you know, for, for all these guys with MSG, it, I feel like it was always survive, not thrive. Yes, absolutely. That essentially what Steve Mills did, bringing in Scott Perry. because He he did it better than anyone. (laughs) Yeah, sure. But last I checked, it was because – wasn't there the report that he was concerned that if he's fired, the person who's working underneath him as the GM would essentially usurp him? Yeah. And if that's the case, it's like, yeah, obviously you're going to want to set yourself up for success and you hope success happens around you because that would only make everyone look better. But that's not really what was a factor for them. And then no. you look at someone like Leon Rose who has risen through the ranks to the point where he was one of if not the – before I guess you could say Rich Paul and Clutch, most powerful agent in all of basketball. And he doesn't get thrown off by the idea of being a sycophant for MSG because he's not an MSG man. 
he's self-made in a lot of ways and he's been able to, to carry his own organization. So he doesn't need to kind of like prove himself to Dolan. He just needs to prove himself to himself in a lot of ways. And having that relationship, that um, simpatico that someone like Phil always talked about that never seemed to materialize, it feels like it's actually attainable here because there is that level of respect and camaraderie that he shares with so many of the people who are around him. And hey, if they're great basketball minds, or at the very least, very good, then that's perfect. That's that's setting your team up for success. I think, you know, I think he brought in good basketball minds and I, um, it's crazy. The more I talk about this, the more excited I am to, to see what they do um, this summer. Which brings us to our last topic of discussion. And um, God, we could talk about this for hours and we're going to try to fit it into 10 minutes. Um, you wrote about the Windhorse article that dropped this week and um, you did a wonderful summary of basically um, the, all the teams that he mentioned that uh, are potentially having some money issues, a few that are not. Um, Dan Gilbert and uh, Steve Ballmer, uh, the owners of the Clippers and Cavs, or excuse me, Cavs and Clippers being two of them. Um, but a lot of people are hurting. Um, by the way, the article that you sent me, you originally had um, that uh, Herb Simon lost – 25 million in, in stock value. I had to, I had to change that M to a B my friend. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's a big, big B for billion. Um, so Herb Simon, sorry, not sorry, not sorry. Um, this could be a shit show. Uh, I, uh, like, and the thing that I texted you that I wanted to talk about today, and I don't even know that how we could really talk about it, so I'll just mention it, is like the article to me was written from the perspective of, you know, what if we start next season with no fans and some teams don't get, um, uh, you know, uh, ticket uh, revenue and, and whatever, money from concessions and, and those sorts of things. Um and I, my mind went to like, well, shit, what if there isn't a season next year? Like, I, I mean, I guess, I guess at that point they would probably rip up the CBA. I'm answering my own question here. Um, and, and then we'd be in real deep doo doo. So I guess we don't really have to talk about that, but I guess it, it seems again, like things are going to get worse before they get better. And man, um, I'd, I, you, you hate to root it for, for not good things to happen to people, but if ever the Knicks needed a break, it's this, right? Yeah, it is. And I think that if the bubble continues to chug along just fine, they'll probably resume this next year. And then with the hope of if there is some sort of vaccine uh, or cure, however you know it goes about, that then you could start to see teams returning back to – uh, they're normal areas and they play at home and that then puts money in the owner's pockets because I don't know how the NBA is going to make basketball revenue. And what I mean by that is, you know, you're, you're not going to get concessions. You're not going to get ticket sales. You know, maybe you could buy jerseys, but with so many people out of work, we just saw the GDP go down. What? 35% oh of the US. It was it was like seven times more than the Great Recession, three and a half times more than the Great Depression. It's a staggering. So we see how many people are out of work and maybe, you know, you come up with birthday money or holiday money, something where it's like, here's a jersey of one of your favorite players. It's not going to make up nearly enough of a difference. So how does the league do that? And I think it probably comes down to setting an artificial amount because, again, it's like, if you're going to project the number, because that's always what the salary cap is, it's merely a projection of what next season should be. But if you expect that you're not really going to get any games in or many games in with fans, then how do you project to make any money? Or at least where does the other 60% or excuse me, the 40% come from? So yeah. if you're the Knicks and you are able to operate as if there is a next season, because again, I think that there's going to be a draft. And there's going to be a free agency before a decision is made on whether next season happens or not. And if you're a team like the Knicks, you have to evaluate the possibility that next season does not happen. And if that's the case, would you rather be on the hook for a big contract that you just signed 
or would you rather take on a salary dump? Because hypothetically, if next season just doesn't happen, the contracts, to my understanding, are still going to progress. They're still going to be off the books. Yeah, I don't know how that would. I mean, yeah, I think so. Um, but we've never had a full season canceled before, so we really don't know. I, I I think this is these this is a, a conversation we're going to have to return to because you know I was texting with JB and I'm I'm sure I'll have him on to talk about this at some point about the prospect of like if the owners are looking to just get the most like if they're looking at this purely from a financial perspective and they're facing the prospect of not getting this this huge you know, source of revenue, there is certainly an incentive for them to be like, you know what, there's no better chance for us or there's no smarter time for us to um, rip up the CBA and start over again and basically engage the players in a game of chicken because we know we can last longer than them. And if they're out for every last time, is it a chance for them to get a larger share of basketball related income? I think it's, what is it, like 50 it's an, it's it's a couple percentage points of from 50% right now. It's 51.49. There you go. Okay. Like yeah, they could do that and I think it's going to be on Adam Silver and and actually guys like LeBron James and Chris Paul and the and the rest of the player leadership to be like, "Listen, we've come too far. We have all this goodwill from I what I expect to be a good Orlando bubble. Um like we have a chance to overtake the NFL as the most popular sport in the country. Let's not fuck it up." By being greedy, um, I know that's not really a Knicks point, but I in in the that is my hope in terms of why they will play a season next year. If they do, you have a hard time seeing packed arenas with fans because even for let's say for argument's sake, there's a vaccine by what January? Is that hmm. is that overly hopeful? Seems more realistic than what we're seeing right now, at least. But, you know, I mean, let, let's just say January it might be closer to February. March. Fine. Let's say January. Great. Can the NBA figure out a way for the players to get vaccinated? Yes. Can the entire country of sports arena um, populating fans, are they all going to get vaccinated? No. Not by January, not by February, not by March, not by April. It's like, so... I think we're looking at a situation where if if the if the league plays next year, it's going to be a bubble. It's going to be a big drop in revenue, and like teams are like whatever they do to try to smooth it. I think to, like like you pointed out in your piece, and I would recommend anyone who missed this, you're going to want to read what Jeremy broke down here. It was uh, what Wednesday's newsletter. Um, like teams are going to be forced into making some difficult decisions, and I guess maybe as the summer. Or as the the off season continues uh, for the Knicks, we could maybe talk about some specific possibilities. But was there of everything you wrote about? Because you did write about some specifics. Was there anything that really jumped out to you before we get out of here? That like, man, I could really see this one happening. Well, just one of the thoughts to me was if the Knicks decide to take on any of these contracts that don't end after next season, then to me that says they're fully committed to a deeper rebuild than we anticipated. Because, I mean, I, I think that they'll probably try to stay flexible year to year. But, you know, if there's like – if the Pacers decide that Jeremy Lamb is someone who they'd like to trade away, he's under contract for another two years, then that's a very different story than trying to keep your cap space completely open for stars. But in terms of players, it's just – it's so hard to tell who is willing to spend and who's not. And, you know, I mean, like, I gravitate a lot towards the Bulls because they're cheap as fuck. It's incredibly cheap. I mean, you know, it's the sort of thing where I was talking about this on Twitter, where it was if Zach Levine is available based on some sort of deal where ideally it leads to someone like Reinsdorf and the Bulls not paying their players as much, right? Like, if it's taking on Cristiano uh, Felicio instead of sending over another asset, like, what does that mean to him? Is that something that he's comfortable with? In any other trade or any other team, it would feel ridiculous. And yet with the Bulls, it doesn't feel that crazy. Uh, why? Because if someone's willing to break up the greatest team of all time 
greatest dynasty, I guess you could say, of all time uh, in basketball history uh, because he doesn't want to pay them, then yeah, I think he'd be willing to kind of maybe trade a player who should be traded for 110 cents on the dollar instead for 75 cents on the dollar if it means that he gets to save some money. Who knows? But it's like that sort of deal where and I know a lot of fans are against Levine. I certainly was. And I know Chris talked about on the last podcast. Stay tuned. It's going to be Zach Levine week at the Knicks Film School newsletter uh, headquarters this week. I'm not kidding. I'm going to have multiple. No. I'm going to have multiple pieces on Levine this week. I look forward to it because he's a very polarizing player. He is. Because you could say that he's a losing player, but then you could also argue that he's only been on losing teams. Is that because of him? Is it not? I'm looking forward to your pieces. So with this, it's just like if you're able to get someone like him because there's an owner who's just looking to save money and doesn't care as much about his team, then it's something you have to consider. Um, I am uh, – and this is the last thing I'll say. I'm going in a different direction and it's not because I don't think the Bulls are cheap and uh, – Ryan sort of sucks. Um, and God, how great is it to be Jim Boylan? Um, I just, I want to wake up one day and feel, feel what it must feel like to be Jim Boylan and have just ultimate job security. Um, I think even if they decide to move Levine for not very much, I think the market is going to dictate. I think there will be at least one other team that is willing. And I think I have a feeling there's going to be multiple other teams. Um, specifically, not to spoil what I'm going to be writing this week, but. Um, teams with owners that are not having cash problems, at least one that I know of off the top of my head, and I think would be a good fit. Anyway, I think there's going to be competition for Levine, and I think for that reason alone, you're not going to be able to get him on the cheap. I think this is a more interesting issue for OKC and Chris Paul. And I'm sorry to continue going back to this, uh, Nick fans. I, I am. I apologize. But you wrote about how their owners are um, elbow deep in the uh, energy sector, right? Um, they're, they're not doing well. There was a report today, uh, again, not that this has anything to do with money, but um, there was some Oklahoma State representative that issued a statement. I ha- Can I read the statement real quick? Because this is a sure. juicy. Yeah, it really is. By kneeling during the playing of the national anthem, the NBA and its players are showing disrespect to the American flag and all that it stands for. Okay, that's whatever. Typical rhetoric. And again, but when you hear this next part, remember... This is an Oklahoma State representative, an elected official. This anti-patriotic act makes clear the NBA's support of the Black Lives Matter group and its goal of defunding our nation's police, its ties to Marxism, and its efforts to destroy nuclear families. If the Oklahoma uh, City Thunder leadership and players follow the current trend of the NBA by kneeling during the national anthem prior to Saturday's game, perhaps we need to reexamine the significant tax benefits the state of Oklahoma granted the Oklahoma City Thunder. (laughs) You have to laugh to keep from crying. Um, All this is swirling around. Chris Paul is obviously the Players Association president. Um, I actually didn't catch the beginning of the game. I'm, I'm assuming they kneeled. Um, cause every, I believe oh, they did. everybody except Jonathan, Jonathan Isaac has, um, I, I just, it's a, it's a situation I'm going to continue to keep my eye on because there might be other teams out there who could take on Zach Levine's two years and, and, you know, uh, $40 million. There ain't nobody else in the NBA who could take on Chris Paul's two years and, uh, 80, 85, 86, 86. Um, yeah, 86. So just, no, 85. just 85. 85, 85 and change, whatever. Hey, hey, you know what? Honestly, what's the, what's the difference of a million dollars, right? <laughs> when, as, when you're Chris Paul. As two very wealthy individuals can tell you, it's just a difference of a million dollars. It's, it's chump change. I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, that's all, guys. I'm just throwing it out there. That's it. I'm shaking my head. Uh, listen, I, you shake well, your head I, all I, you I, want. I, I, it's... Listen. Where you're coming from makes sense. I, I know do it agree. Does. It's just it basically that's your one move of the offseason. And then you have kind of no other real moves that you can do the next year, probably. It's or I mean, yes, you can, but it's just it's very tough to do. And taking on that level of of a commitment financially and over two years, especially when we just had a conversation about how next year may not even happen. And we don't know what the fallout from that could be. We don't know what the cap 
could be in um, not this upcoming season. Well, yes, but also the year after that. And if you're the Knicks, I mean, if the, if that cap just lowers drastically, and suddenly you could have taken advantage of a, a market that you now can't because you're stuck with Chris Paul's contract. I I think that. The, again, I've said this. I just, there's I no the such Knicks thing as an expiring the, contract. You can't trade, Jeremy. You know that. I understand that. I get it. But still, still, I, and I, I know that this is giving Knicks a lot of credit, but with my man Brock, I think that there's too much ingenuity here to lock into that type of a contract. And it, it, listen, if I'm wrong, then I will be shocked. It doesn't mean it can't happen. I just – I would be very surprised, but – it then goes back to what I said about how if the Knicks enter into any contract that extends past next year that isn't some sort of team option or non-guaranteed, it will just be a, a very interesting reflection as to what their rebuild plans are. Because, yes, there could be a team that wants a, a Chris Paul-type contract. That's a lot of money coming off the books. It's great. But it still feels to me like it's going to be more indicative of what's to come. And I just – I still – don't see them playing that game, but we shall see. Hopefully soon. It will depend. I mean, we'll start with the draft lottery. When's the last time we 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 bet a beer on something? I don't know. I know I, I owe you one. You owe me like one you- from what was it? It was the buyouts of players. They oh, and that, and now I actually need beer because otherwise, because otherwise, if I if I don't have beer, I'm st- stuck drinking mead. Um, <laughs> if <laughs> shitty shitty mead. Um, how about this? Can you give me? What odds are you going to give me that uh, Chris Paul uh, is in Nick next year? You want to do double or nothing? No, but that's not fair because that means it's, right. it's even odds that he, he – All right. Is. How about this? If, if Chris Paul is in Nick at the well, – we'll say for the before the first game of the season, is that fair? I'm yes, ruling out that's fair. a trade midseason. Okay. If Chris Paul is in Nick before the season starts – I got it. I got it. I, you pay I my – no, I was about to say, like at the next Nick, I'll either let's give you a choice. You could either send a six pack of no. Actually, I I I'm not giving you the choice. I would like for you, if if we're still in quarantine, to send a six pack of beer to my house. Um, it could be a six pack of your choosing, but it can't have the word light in it. Okay. It can't, and I don't care how it's spelled. It can't be L I G H T. It can't be L I T E. Um, nothing light, but anything you want. I don't care. Um, and if, if he's not, then, um, you no longer owe me the one beer you currently owe me. Deal. Okay. And if we're not in quarantine, then the next Nick, uh, event that we have, you could just, you know, pick up a couple of beers on my, on my tab there. I think that, I think that's, I think that's instead of canceling out the beers, you buy me one, I buy you one. However we want to make it. I, I just need someone to give me beer at this point. Fair that's enough. my, it's really all I'm concerned about. Um, okay. This was fun. Um, we, we've been doing good keeping these things at about an hour. Um, well, it's good because the first 10 minutes we're talking about naming babies and drinking your own piss. And it's quite the, it was, it's fun. It's just, listen, you, you, you able to condense that much. I didn't bring up drinking pee. That was, that was all you. I mentioned it offhandedly, and you decided to go deeper into the drinking of the piss. Well, I was—I just was naturally asking some follow-up questions to learning that John has pissed before. That is my only question. Hey, guzzle it down in a water bottle. I'm just saying. I think everybody knows what the taste of piss is. I'm gonna. This is a good Twitter poll. Uh, you know. yeah. Anyway. Um, <laughs> all right, Jeremy. Anything else? <laughs> I can't. I can't do this. Uh, anything else before we get out of here? Um, if you haven't read the article about the NBA academies in China, go ahead and do that. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty deep stuff. So, I, you know, it's just worth reading. But other than that, um, you know, we've got basketball for the first time in a long time as I watch the Clippers just – demolish the pelicans and i'm looking at the score right now i don't have the, i'm not in the room with the tv but man 77 to well now 47 so yeah it's been bad it's it's been really gruesome to watch but hey you know what basketball's basketball it's back let's all enjoy it let's have fun the draft lottery is in less than three weeks it is you know we're uh hopefully it stays intact because it doesn't look like baseball's going to yeah um i don't 
I don't. It's been a while since I've enjoyed watching basketball as I have like the last couple of days. It's been so great. Um, so nice to have it back. It's been other than today. The, today's games have been a blowout, but like by and large, I think the quality of the basketball has been very good. Um, so if you're a Knicks fan and you're like you haven't been watching for some reason because the Knicks aren't in it, like turn on the TV. You're gonna enjoy these games because they're really good. Like it's it's good it's good ball. Um, Jeremy, as always, um, you are just the best. Um, I owe you. And, uh, to everybody listening at home, uh, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, if, if anybody listening knows any member of my family or close friends who, uh, don't know what I said at the beginning of the podcast, do me a favor and just like, don't tell them. Um, I think that they forget anything. I think that's it, right? No, I think that's good. Just uh, hope that thousands of people, assuming that's the m- millions of people that listen to the pod, don't <laughs> tens uh, of, contact tens your, of people. your family about it. <laughs> Dozens of people. Dozen of people. <laughs> um, all right. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Uh, Black Lives Matter. And we'll see you next week.